This is a Rooster Teeth production. Seventeen seventeen, a former slave ship was captured by the most dangerous man on the high seas. For the next nine months, she would be used to make history, chaos, and profit before deliberately sinking at the hands of her captain, Edward Teach, a man most people know as Blackbeard. This is Queen Anne's Revenge. I'm Charlotte. I'm Patrick. Ahoy and welcome aboard Ship Hits the Fan, a podcast about some of history's most notable uh-ohs and whoopsies on the high seas. Yeah, and uh, sorry for the all-over-the-place record quality. We are in the process of having our new studio set up, so... We got yeah, but a little we, more of this, and we should be back to normal. Maybe even better. We some can are say that this and the next one will be a rare <laughs> um, con- consistency. Yes, uh, we are both. Neither of us are. We are not in the same room. We are recording from our homes, uh, our home studios. Yes, which our home studios. Is not a, it's just our rooms. My, I think it's our yeah. rooms. My my onboard uh, companion. Ship cat yogurt was just scratching at some packaging on the floor. Yeah. Uh, and she's about to do it again. So we're trying to uh, no. just keep things going. So bear with us. Hopefully, hopefully it'll sound good. It'll sound good enough anyway, which is what we aim for always. I, I mean, f- yeah. I mean, passable quality exactly. is supreme quality as far as we're concerned. It's superior. Yeah. Okay, she has found the most crinkly things in the room to sit on. Good, good. I don't hear anything, so okay. that's a good sign. Hey. Um. Well, I do. But we're back. This is... Speak, mother. Oh. Hold on. Keep this in. This is good stuff. hmm Okay, you, you were saying... I was saying we're back. This is the first episode of season four. Whatever that means. They said Whatever we couldn't these do seasons it. mean. They said it wouldn't happen. They li- yeah, they lied. Not really anything. But they didn't lie. They, just, they didn't have faith in us. Who is they? Which I don't in, know. in a way is lying. I don't know who they is. <laughs> I'm gonna. Uh, I I have a I have an intro. Okay. Um, the way of water has no beginning, okay. and no end. The sea is around you and in you. The sea is your home before your birth and after your death. <laughs> the sea gives and takes, connects all things, life to death, darkness to light. You skipped a whole chunk there. Uh, well, there was a lot of yeah. it. I thought. I, I, I mean, there Three was the whole thing about like almost. our hearts beating in the womb of the world. Yeah. And our breathe, uh, breaths uh, burning in the shadows of the deep, yeah. which, like, I don't know what that means. Uh, I just skipped to the next thing that said the sea. Right. Um, it, it, it doesn't really bear any relevance to Blackbeard or his escapades or Queen Anne's Revenge, yeah. but uh, my entire mind, um, every lobe is consumed with James Cameron's Avatar The Way of Water. Oh, okay. Uh, all I can think about day and night is those crab robots, the crab submersibles. And um, so, yeah, that's what what you get. Look, I mean, they were big ships in that movie, so it's not entirely irrelevant. eh, There were were massive ships ships in that movie. One big ship and many smaller craft. You have to assume there were more, though, in a harbor somewhere. Probably, yeah. Where they launched from. I mean, mean, Pandora is a beautiful... whale uh, brain juice was... Only a small vial was worth... I guess that's spoilers. Cut it. Yeah, cut it. Well, don't cut it, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> All right. We'll, enough of we'll enough just about say Avatar: that. The Way of Water. I'm sure we'll be covering uh, the many shipwrecks 
from that movie in later uh, episodes. We, we definitely will be. Uh, season 16. Season, yes, when we have truly run out of ideas. Yeah. Because uh, much like Avatar, this show has no beginning and no end. You know, this podcast is around you. and in Oh, you. no, there will be an end. And there is defi- there's uh, also definitely oh. a beginning. The first episode was oh. about uh, the Eastland, right? Yeah, no, I, yeah, I remember was the I beginning. was there. But yeah. And the end will be our final episode when we run out of ships. Or it's our a meta- fire. It's a metaphor. Yeah. Or killed. Yeah. They might just be done with us. Either Wipe way. Their hands of us. Let's talk about Blackbeard and his ship. Okay. So we, but we can talk about Avatar <laughs> later. Off later, mic. Off mic. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> I'll, I'll write down my thoughts. Yeah, thank you. It would be easy to start with Blackbeard in this story, but it's important to remember a few things before we dive in. Dive. Yeah, I was I was gonna say Ships, something, but I water. figured we had <laughs> wasted so much time already. First, the ship we know as Queen Anne's Revenge had a life before Blackbeard. Second, Blackbeard was only a pirate for about two years. That's right, hmm. just two years. The wow, legacy babe. that that man built in two years of pirating. King, that's how you hustle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone thinks of him as this huge, looming figure in piracy, but his reign of terror began and ended in less time than uh, the pandemic, which I guess is still kind of ongoing, so I don't it's know. It's still we going. We don't know that yeah. for sure, but I mean, well, I guess we do know because his, he, yeah, I guess we do know that. No yeah, matter how much we, we It could go on do. for 20 more years and that sentence still works, so apologies. That's true. Yeah, it just becomes <laughs> more believable. <laughs> Uh, the ship that would come to be known as Queen Anne's Revenge was a 200-ton frigate, and it's believed that it was built in 1710 in Bristol, England, as a merchant ship named the Concord. Man, ships really used to just have names, you know? Yeah, it's... They just so really better. used to... They used to just go for it. Yeah. Uh, almost instantly upon its completion, it was captured. <laughs> <laughs> uh, something that would happen time and again with this ship, it seems. It was captured by a man named René Duguay-Trouin, a French military officer and privateer. And enjoyer of a robust red. <laughs> it sounds like it. Anyone with a French Hold name on. loves she it. Is. She's loves scratching it. at the door. Give me a second. What are we doing here? Huh? Okay, I've, I've moved her favorite Ikea chair much closer to me. Okay, good. That should do it, hopefully. So sometimes you'll hear the words privateer and pirate used interchangeably. Well, that's not entirely wrong. It's not entirely right either. Privateers and pirates both hijacked ships and sometimes even killed crews for their cargo. The difference was privateers did it with permission. They had legal, I guess, permission Prerogative? is the word oh. <laughs> to so do piracy. <laughs> and basically a bunch of privateers, when that permission was taken away, just became pirates. Became pirates, It was right. the same work. <laughs> you know. It was it was kind of uh, foolish on yes. you know uh, the part of a ruling nation to be like we'll pay you to take down these other people and they're like okay uh, stop you can't do it anymore <laughs> it's like hey guys I know we've paid you to arm yourselves and and troll these waters and take destroy enemy want. ships and combatants and take what you want and keep it uh, but, but please now um, it's bad now we're now it's done we are officially yeah. saying that it's bad and mm-hmm. done. Okay, and starting now. No. Uh, During this time, there were a bunch of wars going on in Europe. There pretty much always were for several thousand years, and we'll get to Mm -hmm. those momentarily. Also, all of those European countries had colonies. These colonies fed resources to the European countries for trade and general clout. Mm Mm-hmm. Colonizers, the original clout chasers. 
and it went well for everyone involved. Yeah, it, it definitely <laughs> was a a system. Yep. It was a thing that they did. But that meant that each country had a vested interest in disrupting the trade and supply lines between all the other countries. Not every country had a standing navy at this time, but even if they did, that navy was largely for protecting the mainland. What these countries needed was obvious. Greedy, drunk people with ships willing to do bad things. Shouldn't be a problem. <laughs> That's why we have Florida today. <laughs> exactly. If I've learned one thing from uh, just general human history, there's always greedy, drunk people with ships. And they are always willing to do anything. Anything. International waters. Yes. Start the, sick, the second you launch your boat. Yeah. In the harbor. That's international waters. Pirates have technically existed since the origin of sea travel. As long as there are boats on the water, there are people who want the cargo that is on those boats and are willing to kill and hijack to get it. This is not going anywhere. There are still no. boats on the water. There are still people who want the things on those boats. Ever since the origin of sea travel, there have been men seeing their friends as roast rotisserie chickens, burgers, hot and dogs, hot dogs. Yeah. Who, who reply, why are you looking at me like that? Yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> So, these European countries took advantage of events that were already happening. Pirates were already pirating, why not make use of it? Most European countries at this time offered an option to pirates. Register as a privateer, continue doing what you're doing in the name of your country, or whatever country gave you the permission really, uh, and avoid being imprisoned or killed. Okay. To most pirates, and even some military ships, this sounded like a great idea. Do what you love for your country and continue living the boat life, the yacht life. <laughs> with the fellas, too. You are On out there deck. with the boys. Yeah, just chilling out in the suns, maybe swabbing. You might be doing some swabbing, but it's a worthwhile price to pay. Yeah, and that's an honorable trade, swabbing. Not piracy, but swabbing. Swabbing, yeah, yeah. swabbing, and, and make sure you get your hands on a lot of citrus in any yeah, yeah. Uh, given port. It, it is funny, the idea of, like, um, pirates setting up a recruiting table at a school, mm -hmm. <laughs> like traditional pirates. Yeah, yeah. Like, Yar, ye be needing money to get out of this small town, then I understand. Have ye considered piracy? I reckon your aptitude tests say you're not good for much. Well, I say you're fit into a life on the sea. After a few years <laughs> at sea, we'll pay for your college tuition. Ah, uh, ye don't need be you don't need <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Ye not be needing all those teeth. <laughs> Why not share some with the boys? <laughs> It'd be awful selfish to keep those teeth all to yourself, <laughs> lad. Uh so <laughs> Rene Dubitch. It's just so no, funny you're... you don't need all those teeth. <laughs> the uh, boys could use them. René Duguay-Truon was no exception. He was born into a family that built ships and seemed destined for a life at sea. At the age of 16, he joined the crew of a privateer ship called the Trinité, and within short order, they had captured not one, but two enemy merchant ships. Duguay-Truon... Duguay-Truon's family took this as a sign. He might be pretty good at this privateering stuff, and that could be good money for them in turn. Two years later, at the age of 18, his family built him a boat to start his solo privateering career, the Danny Karn. I'm so sick of this nepotism and pirating. <laughs> oh yeah, I started off with a small loan of a boat. <laughs> the Danny Karn had a feature that the Trinité didn't, and it was a bunch of guns. Mostly cannons, 
but that's good for the time. Yeah. That's canon. So. That's the main thing that's, you need. You're going to want that. Essentially, Duguay Truon had gone to his family and said, kind of the equivalent of, I'm a good privateer, clearly, but I'd be even better if I was packing serious heat. Huh. <laughs> Something I have said uh, to my family regarding content creation. Yeah, me constantly. Yes. Look, I'm pretty good at this, but if I was armed to the teeth, think of how much better this podcast would be. Listen, I'm I think I'm doing pretty well in this content creation game, but if I had uh I would say sort of a gun locker, I think yeah. that would be uh <laughs> instrumental in my rising. <laughs> this is an, this is an entre- this is some entrepreneur level stuff, right? It Sharks. is. It is. <laughs> I offer you being a pirate for me. Getting in guns. Return you give me a gun. Yeah. <laughs> Mark Cupid, give me a gun. <laughs> and he does. <laughs> he does. Yeah. He gives you his personal sidearm. <laughs> which he keeps on him at all times. Yeah, it's an ankle gun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Little leather holster. <laughs> yeah. It says Mark on High socks <laughs> with those like weird uh those weird sock like yeah, the sock garters. That yes, yes. So that very next year, King Louis XIV of France gave Duguay Truon the command of Hercule, one of the French Navy's strongest ships with more than twice the guns, while also allowing him to maintain his status as a privateer. This is wild, just deputizing. Well, because all guy. most of this piracy stuff was happening in the colonies. So you had uh I know for sure England and Spain. We're constantly like the, the Caribbean, the Americas. Um, they all had colonies yeah. all over the place. And it was basically, French, you know, like, hey, the French folk were in Haiti. At this clear, point already. Yes, yes, exactly. So it was basically like, hey, look, we're England. If you, you know, do an accent, saw a, f- if you saw a French ship in the harbor <laughs> and you could take it down and take their, you know, whatever they've. Uh, stolen from the native peoples to bring back to France, <laughs> then we'd have no problem with that. The size of a tangerine. <laughs> so that privateer status part is very important because it meant he had permission to attack anyone in his path, regardless of military strategy or importance. And he was entitled to spoils from the attack. And he had more guns than most boats on the sea. Imagine if the United States handed a guy a tank with a ton of guns on it and then told him he could keep mugging people for fun and profit and he was welcome to use the tank to do so. I don't know if it's I mean, mugging with a tank. That sounds that seems like another yeah. level of a lot I mean of armed robbery at the very least. Yeah. But with a tank. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I, I feel like America kind of does do this. Just like pick anyone out of a sheriff's department. <laughs> Because they do have tanks, I think. They do have tanks. Yeah, they Uh, do. That's essentially what the French Navy has done here. But there was another unfortunate aspect to his sea career. Let's hear it. Slaves. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Bummer. Yep. René Duguay-Truon, like most notable men in history at this time, was a bad guy. Uh, That's an understatement. He was a really, really bad guy. He is terrible. During his privateering uh, career, Duguay yeah. Truon realizes that one of the most profitable trades in the pirate world is people. Eee. Using all of these heavily armed military vessels as slave ships allowed him to transport people across the Atlantic with ease. 
It also allowed him to attack and capture smaller slave ships and take all of their slaves. Needless to say, he became super successful and super rich, of course, while also ensuring he had a front row seat in hell. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, he's bad. He's, a, he's this is bad, French, French bad nobility. <laughs> yeah. He was going anyway. If you were involved in the sea trade in the 1700s, you were a huge piece of shit. Yeah, the, it seems like it. <laughs> There's I'm, no I'm way sure around he it. had any number of justification, though. Yes. He's actually fine. To yeah, do yeah, this. yeah. In 1702, as part of the War of Spanish Succession, which we will get to momentarily, Duguay-Trouan was given command of multiple ships and was officially named an officer in the French Navy. So think mm -hmm. about that for a second. For 15 years, he has just been capturing ships and cargo, much of that cargo, human beings, using French military vessels as slave ships and basically raising hell, and it was all unofficial off the books. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Much like the men in black, according to the French government, he doesn't actually exist and is not working for them. Except he very much is clearly doing all of this with their permission. This allows him to do the most heinous things imaginable while the French government gets to pretend they're not involved and that their hands are clean. Good stuff. During the war, which we will still get to, France needed all hands and all ships on deck, so Duguay-Trouan became official, and in return, they gave him even more ships with even more guns. Huh. Yeah. While he would definitely use these ships in their military capacity, he would also almost always convert them to slave ships as soon as possible. What? There was so a he... ton of money in that. <laughs> so he's an officer. Yes. Who's being given ships that he just turns around and converts into slave ships. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. It was during this time that Duguay-Trouan captured the Concorde, renamed it Le Concorde. Okay. <laughs> All right. Come on. Yeah. Okay. Predictably, on, he guys. converted it almost instantly into a slave ship. Wow. But it was less than a decade later that that ship would make history under a new name, a new flag, and a new captain. Which brings us to Edward Teach, aka Blackbeard. Ba bam. There are multiple it's differing very accounts. Dramatic. Uh huh. Uh. There are multiple differing accounts of Edward Teach's life for a few reasons. Documentation of births, deaths, and life events at this time is not great, nor is it reliable. Probably, especially not in the colonized parts of the world, you kind of have to take what you get. He learned early on that the appearance of danger and violence is as effective as standard danger and violence, real danger and violence. All right. Yeah. The gun of the mind. Exactly. <laughs> he and his crew were known to spread rumors about this past to influence people <laughs> to surrender their ships. So they don't even have to do anything. I heard Blackbeard kissed Maggie behind the stance. And then they, they lose their minds and give everything, oh. hand everything over. The scuttlebutt. So yes, a lot of what we know about Blackbeard is muddled by the many, many rumors about him, most of which he seems to have possibly started. Pretty cool. Yes. So what we do know is a lot of maybes. Maybe he was born around 1680. We think that because he seemed to be around 35 to 40 years old when he passed away, meaning for that time period, he would have looked about 85 to 90 by current standards. Yes, but had the mind of a 12-year-old. Exactly. So we are pretty sure that his name was Edward Teach, but being a pirate, he gave fake names 
a lot <laughs> every time he yeah. got arrested or the Navy got mad at him. So even that tidbit is sort of like, eh, maybe. I don't know. We know that he could read and write, which is not always the case for this time and certainly was not always the case for sailors or pirates. This has led a lot of people to speculate that he may have been from a wealthy or prominent family, but again, I mean, yes, it was probably more common again among wealthy and prominent families, but it certainly was not exclusive to that. So more, you know, it's all speculation here. He's believed to have been born and raised in Bristol, one of the largest cities in England at the time. It has also been speculated that he and potentially his family emigrated to the Caribbean when he was a teenager. Specifically, there are some records from the 18th century claiming that he worked as a sailor out of Jamaica and potentially at that time served in the War of Spanish Succession. Which means we have to talk about the War of Spanish Succession. Now, Charlotte, Woo! you're a War of Spanish Succession head. Go ahead and explain oh, this to them. Huge. Off the yeah. top of your head. Please don't look at the script. I was going to read the script. I thought that you were queuing me up to... Um, I'm queuing you up to show off your okay. knowledge that you have without using the script. War of Spanish definitely. Succession, go ahead. No, definitely, yeah. <clears throat> the War of Spanish Succession. Uh, it, you know, in this time, in this region... Do you want me to take it? And time period, I would love that. Okay. I'd love for you to so, take it. <laughs> to call this one a war is a misnomer. It's a misnomer. It's a misnomer. What? I was I was getting in. I was actually. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, cut it. Uh, not the misnomer part. <laughs> this Call is actually, the misnomer part. <laughs> this is actually a collection of wars based around the succession of prominent families in Europe, spanning from the late 1600s to the mid 1700s. These wars are known by different names to different people depending on where you were fighting, and they looked very different depending on which country you were fighting for and which continent you were fighting on. Hmm. Obviously, when you're dealing with hereditary monarchies, as much of Europe is at this time, the balance of peace is dependent on having heirs in line ready to take over these kingdoms. So important. So a important great to system. have your heir lined up. Yeah, you are going to want to have your sons ready. Yes. Don't be having daughters, okay? No, 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 no. Of course not. Sons only. <laughs> <laughs> at this time, a substantial amount of the countries in Europe are actually run by one family, the Habsburgs. There are enough wild Habsburg stories to fill a lifetime of podcasts. I'm sure there's a few out there about them already. But there are two things you should know about them for this specific podcast. First, they had collected a troubling amount of supposed power and influence by intermarrying with every European kingdom that would have them. Were they hot? Uh, Do you think they were I'm hot? I'm going to guess from all the inbreeding, <laughs> they probably looked uh, inbred. Mm -hmm. But like... In a hot way? I guess that's, a, that's you know, it's the eye of possible. the beholder. The eye of the beholder, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. So, yeah. It made the other countries around them extremely nervous, and they began looking for ways to break up that power, specifically England and France. Second, the Habsburgs are super inbred, like we said before. Right. Uh, yeah. To put it in current cultural terms, they're the Lannisters of 18th century Europe. You remember well, Game no, of Thrones? That, that, that doesn't play anymore. We're a Targaryen culture now. Is that so? Which, yeah, actually, that that which, might even yeah, be a more apt the, metaphor. The great really scandal of of the uh, the original Game of Thrones series mm -hmm. uh, pilot was the um, incestuous nature of Jamie. When he Lannister calls her sweet sister. Seriously, oh, the, Tar uh, yeah, the Lannisters. Uh, never mind. When they're sleeping together. Yes. Uh, House of the Dragon. No qualms. No, it's um, just full on. We, we're actually, I think, supposed to root for it. 
Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> I think at this point it is it is constant. I actually lost track of how many siblings are wet. Do you think <laughs> maybe like, a oh, Habsburg okay. is on the writing team? I uh, can bring only it assume that a Habsburg is somewhere high up in the HBO uh, corporate hierarchy uh, and and maybe making sure that their vision of the world is uh, seen by all. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, so decades and decades of kissing cousins, more than kissing, and mm-hmm. maybe more than cousins, had left them with some quirky <laughs> genetics. <laughs> But it had also made it very hard for them to produce heirs, especially because, I mean, look, you're trying to make an heir. What, are you going to leave the, your pool of blood relatives in order to make that happen? No, of course not. No, of course you not. You want to preserve the qualities that make you that, a good leader. That beautiful blood. <laughs> yeah, that beautiful, dirty blood God. that has been it's, cycled around. Monarchy stuff is so, it's so funny it how insanely is. stupid it is. Wild. All you have to do is like look at a royal and you go, Whoa. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hi, hi, hi. <laughs> so Yeah. <shame. laughs> I, I yeah, I think that is the dream, right? To like marry a prince, but then like what you think. But about then that prince your is your brother. Like yeah. <laughs> that too, yeah. Yeah. So many of us get stuck in a cycle of having the same routine over and over and over again, but we still wonder what else we might discover out there, what else we could explore, but now you can get out there quickly with electric bike. Electric e-bike completely changes how you get around. Do you need to pop over to the store? Done. Outdoor adventure? Done. Get out there. Get going. Electric e-bikes cost so much less than other e-bikes, and they come with a removable battery, seven-speed gearing, a bright LCD display, and they are even customizable and adjustable to fit what you need. Electric's e-bikes are also foldable, so you don't have to worry about taking up too much space with them. And it doesn't hurt that you can lower your gas costs and reduce that carbon footprint that we are all feeling guilty about. I know I personally leaned on the electric e-bike to offset my fuel prices because we all know that that got expensive as all get out. But my costs were much lower because I was taking my bike everywhere. And even in a city like LA, you can make it work because this thing, you can't help but want to take it out. It just makes the trip so much easier. And also having built-in lighting makes it feel so much safer in low light scenarios. So get out there and make this year your most adventurous one yet with electric e-bikes. Visit electricebikes.com to learn more. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C ebikes.com. Uh, so this is an extra bad position to be in when you currently run all of Europe and the parts that you don't run are looking for a way in. Specifically, Spain was struggling. The Habsburgs had married into the city-state of Castile in 1496, allowing them to make power plays that landed one of their own on the Spanish throne in the late 1600s. That's so funny, playing the long game like that. I know. In a hundred years, my child will sit upon yeah. this throne. And like you're also gambling on the fact that that kid will care, which I guess that's all these people have, right? Is the name and the lineage or whatever. Like yeah, they've they've so. really clung. They yeah. So Charles II, a Habsburg, and also the King of Spain, had no viable heirs. Pretty inconvenient when he died in 1700, and his kingdom was now up for grabs. I wonder who these mm. non-viable heirs were. Oh, I'm sure that no. It couldn't have been daughters or bastards, right? Hmm. Maybe. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. 
The two main contenders for the Spanish throne were Louis XIV of France and Holy Roman Emperor Leopold I, who was already king of Hungary, Croatia, and Bohemia. Both technically had blood rights to the throne. That's a real sentence about a real thing uh, that occurred in our world. A thing that occurred constantly. I love the idea um, that it was impossible, just completely impossible, to just go with someone else. Nope, you had to have <laughs> the blood rights to the throne. I mean, I understand how it worked, but like, okay. It's, it's a... Uh... Honestly, I'm not sure it's any worse or better of a system than what what we have right now in America. Who, knows? Who the hell you knows know what 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 the best way is? But yeah, I, I I I'm not I'm not really quite sure. I think we should maybe give this kind of stuff a try. Yeah, I think we do. I think we go and back. We go back and to we go it, back. Yeah. But more importantly, because most cool ship stuff happened uh, while kings were around in terms yeah. of battles. So. We could keep the podcast probably going for quite a I bit mean, longer. I mean, that would probably be we really big for the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so France and England had a vested interest in stopping Leopold from taking over Spain because he already controlled the largest amount of Europe, and neither one of them wanted to go up against a superpower. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, some, some beautiful locales there. Croatia is a, a gorgeous country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in 1670, before the Spanish King Charles died, the English King Charles II and France met secretly and signed a treaty between the two of them to back France's claim to the throne, making them potential allies for the first time in years. What they didn't realize is that in 1700, this would pit them against the Second Grand Alliance, which technically was also (laughs) England, but had sided with Leopold I and other countries supporting his claim to the throne. Many of these other countries were also run by Habsburgs. Is, I know this is so much to keep track of, and we will get back to pirates in a second. It do, it uh, my brain doesn't work, and it doesn't help either. That really, the only like etymology of my name is just the female derivative of King Charles. Mm-hmm. I, like I've gone looking for further meaning, and it's like, nope, it's just like a lady version of this king. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. The brain trusts that, yep. that have made alliances against themselves. Mm-hmm. The Grand Alliance had not been too happy about how many German towns Louis XIV had burned to the ground in his search for power. Did he think it was under one of those houses? Oh, oh, so they were come on. To, so they were willing to let a Habsburg rule instead. Now, why does England end up on both sides? Well... <laughs> There's a ton of treaties between 1670 and 1700, not to mention part of the original treaty required England to revert to Catholicism. But then English Charles II dies and his heir takes over, but then gets exiled. Oh my God. The new King William III is not recognized by France. To sum all this up, England and France are mad and the whole world is fighting about it. I think that sentence summarizes much of uh, the last couple hundred or thousand centuries yeah Yeah. that's a that's a lot of it now this is where edward teach aka blackbeard comes in Mm. he's believed to have started his career as a privateer during this time in 1716 he joins the crew of a man named benjamin hornigold hmm so that's He's a pirate? This is, this is a pirate named Horningold? I believe so, yeah, or privateer. I, yeah. I rest my case. I, I, don't, I don't think any more needs to be said. Because <laughs> he's horny for gold. He's horny for gold. He wants, okay. he wants booty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> on Horningold's ship. Come on. Ship, I'm gonna, I think <laughs> Come it's got to be, it's gotta be <laughs> Hornigold. Whatever, I'm sticking to it. 
On Hornigold's ship, Blackbeard learned the important lessons of running a ship. How to take over enemy ships, you know, that's a pretty important one. Basically anything you would put into Piracy 101. Hornigold was a privateer for England because this is smack dab in the middle of the war. And this is how it all comes together. There's a reason we spent so much time talking about European history. Because of the wars of succession, Europe is at each other's throats. There are battles in mainland Europe, but also battles around all the European colonies. Which means that across the Atlantic, the soon-to-be United States, the Caribbean, parts of Canada, and even Central and South America are fighting on sides determined by who colonized them. These wars take on different names. For example, Blackbeard is fighting in what comes to be called Queen Anne's War, which is also the War of Spanish Succession. Okay. <gasps> sure. Can we please get to the boats? On the mainland, in North America, indigenous tribes have split and backed either the English or the French. The US refers to this as the French-Indian War or the Seven Years' War, but it too is the War of Spanish Succession. <laughs> in New Providence, Bahamas, an island entirely populated by pirates that we don't have a ton of time to get into, although, you know, pirate islands, that might be a good episode it's for later cool. on. I, I, like the th I like the sound of it. Mm -hmm. Hornigold and Blackbeard have controlled most traffic and trade in the Caribbean. Blackbeard felt like it was time he started running his own ship, and Hornigold helped. He taught him how to take over vessels, they started to split the cargo of the ships they hijacked, and eventually Blackbeard was ready to break out on his own. Which is how, on November 28, 1717, he attacked and commandeered Le Concorde, renaming it Queen Anne's Revenge. As you might remember, Le Concorde was filled with slaves. One of the only historical records of what happens to them is a note that says that Blackbeard sailed the ship to Martinique, where he allowed its crew and cargo to be unloaded which is an incredibly callous and cruel way to refer to people as cargo. It's unclear if Blackbeard sold or profited off the slaves on the ship. He probably did. He's a pirate. Like yeah, I said, I don't, I don't really see any reason to give him the benefit of the doubt. Yes. I think best case scenario, he told them I either sell you or you become a pirate. Uh, which either way, real bad. Yeah. It's not entirely clear why he names the ship Queen Anne's Revenge. It could have been a play on the name of fellow pirate Steed Bonnet's ship, The Revenge. It could be a reference to Blackbeard's time fighting in Queen Anne's War, aka the War of Spanish Succession. Regardless, she became one of the most feared boats on the high seas. I, it's a good name. It's a great name. It's a, it's a really fantastic name. So speaking of Steed Bonnet and The Revenge, Blackbeard takes over that ship as well, although peacefully, and they partner with Hornigold's Ranger, forming a little fleet. Oh, cute. Yeah. Soon Unless Black they're, you know, partaking hmm? in any more slave trade. Uh, I'm sure they were at all times. These are pirates. Cute. These are pirates. Soon, Blackbeard had added more ships to his fleet, and even though many were smaller pirate ships, he now had his own little mini armada. One of the first things he did, taking a page out of Duguay Truon's book, was load those ships up with guns. The mini armada oh, yeah. starts tearing the Caribbean up. Only one problem, the war is sort of ending, and England doesn't need privateers anymore. It is now open season on pirates. That, we've, that reached pi we've reached that pirates created. in the Caribbean movie time. Yes, we have. <laughs> all of them. They yes, all are every one equally of them. canonical, all, yeah. okay? By May of 1718, less than a full year after acquiring Queen Anne's Revenge, Blackbeard gave himself the title of Commodore. They set Good their for sight. Him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
They set their sights on a bigger target, the colony of South Carolina. Blackbeard and his fleet positioned themselves at the mouth of an inlet that led to Charlestown Port. They ransacked every ship that attempted to sail through like a mugger waiting outside an ATM. Well, that would be the ship coming back out. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if if we're if we're really, I mean, they were coming in. Yeah, it's like if you went. It's more like waiting for someone to go to a bank to make a deposit. I guess. (laughs) Yeah, I I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Good. I'm glad we cleared that up. Uh One of these ships carried Samuel Ragg, a member of the council and connected to the governor of South Carolina. He strikes a deal with Blackbeard, and they move their fleet a little further out to sea. While blockading, they received word that England had sent soldiers out to basically rid their colonies of pirates. That didn't sit right with Blackbeard. He was a little upset about that, but there was some hope. See, the soldiers carried an offer. A pardon if men were willing to completely renounce piracy and join the Navy full-time by September 5th, 1718. During that summer of 1718, many pirates and crews accepted the pardon, Steed Bonnet included. Blackbeard considers it, but then spent the whole summer pirating extra hard, just maybe to get it out of his system one last time. Yeah. And this led to the events of June 10th, 1718. Blackbeard steers the Queen Anne's Revenge into Beaufort Inlet near North Carolina. The ship ran aground and was unable to sail. He offloaded what cargo he could onto a smallest ship and left most of the crew on a nearby island. Some accounts believe he may have run the ship aground on purpose to get rid of a large portion of his crew. He would surrender <laughs> only days later, taking the offer of a pardon. Oh, it's not really very punk rock of him. Nah. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Regardless, Queen Anne's Revenge stayed where it had been grounded as the world and the sea changed around her until 1996. Wow, he was still alive? He was around. He was still alive, yeah. <laughs> in 1996, a private research firm partnered a with- A private research firm? Pi- private, private, and not oh, privateer. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Got it. A private research firm partnered with archaeologists, confirmed- Archaeologists? No. <laughs> Confirmed that a wreck they found sitting in only 28 feet of water off the coast of North Carolina was, in fact, the Queen Anne's Revenge. Cool. Complete excavation of the site, now designated as historical, took over two decades, with pieces being brought to the surface in small caches. All treasure found was turned over to museums, as well as cannons and any other artifacts found at the wreck. As of 2018, the ship is fully excavated, and the artifacts are shared between the Smithsonian the National Museum of American History, and Musée National de la Marine in Paris. Cool. Your thoughts? Um, <laughs> on the Musée National de la Marine in Paris? On anything. Uh, it's, oh, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm just, uh, it's very interesting to get into the details of piracy because so much of it is romanticized. Um, and then it's like, it's actually um, just deputized noblemen, <laughs> it yeah. seems, that... Just decided that they were no longer uh, agents of the state or I guess of the country and just kind of like fought amongst each other. I don't know. It's like it's like the the American West. It's like what we like think about as like the cowboy like golden age was like probably like a handful of months. And for the most part, yeah, it was yeah. just guys working as ranch hands. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. It's very cool. Mm-hmm. Those are my thoughts. I don't know. What are yours? Uh, you've heard huh? mine now okay yeah i've told you everything i believe right this was off the (laughs) dome i guess (laughs) 
Patrick <laughs> Patrick so isn't stupid. reading off anything. His eyes have rolled back into his head. Uh-huh. And he like recalls this from memory. Yes, like a mentat. I wish there were uh, sh- ships in Dune. Sure. Maybe we could cover Caladan. Whatever. Um, so Blackbeard, for his part, you know, he took the pardon, but he could not stay away from piracy. And he was killed in a big battle in 1718. His decapitated head was placed at the opening of Chesapeake Bay as a warning to others who might try to blockade the colonies as he had. So that's the Queen wow. Anne's revenge. Wow. Unfortunately, uh, you know, for any Blackbeard stands, it does seem he wa- was outlived by René Duguay Tron, uh, who died uh, nearly 20 years later. So unfortunately, that piece of work uh, far outlived Edward Teach. Although oh, they seemed like no. they were both bad dudes, so you know, you know, uh, do with that information what you will. Blackbeard apparently was shot five times and cut twenty. Cut twenty. It's <laughs> so specific, <laughs> like stabbed or like paper cuts. Because I, sword, I could sword have that cuts, beat. Maybe. Oh, they did engage in sword warfare. Well, we didn't yeah, yeah. even really get into a lot of the 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 Blackbeard myths, like how he would apparently like wick his beard and and have it smoking, so he would be surrounded in a haze, or that he carried uh, six pistols in a custom holster like setup, so he didn't have to worry about reloading when That's, he was. I mean, it's all engaging yeah, it's in all battle. Like theater, basically. I know. Yeah, it's he was a. It's a lot of showmanship. If ships just see you and surrender, that's like doesn't get any better than that. That's ideal. Although I do think it's funny, like mounting his head. Like, was he that recognizable that people were like, "Oh, that's Blackbeard. Let's turn around." Or do you think other pirates were like, "I know. I wonder what that is." I mean, I think they they would have known (laughs) way off there. They would have known his ship and his flag. Sure. Yeah. So you would have seen that coming. You would have seen the flag probably, and said, "Okay, that's 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 Blackbeard." Right, but I mean, on the at the opening to the Chesapeake oh, like if you bay. see just a head, a rotted head, a head, which I'm sure very quickly <laughs> became like... nothing more than a skull. Yeah, it's like oh, that that's got to be Blackbeard, right? Is that Blackbeard? I don't know. It's got to be Blackbeard. I, I guess. Yeah. Let's turn around. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's not blockade the stuff. colonies after all. <laughs> uh, it's just funny to think back to the ever forward, uh, yeah. the uh, the ever given sister ship that was grounded in the Chesapeake Bay. And Not long ago. If any of you, our listeners, uh, have access to a great deal of ships and are interested in blockading the United States of America, uh, you know, I'm not going to say I'm interested on a public platform. However. <laughs> I think if there's anything we've learned is how how devilishly easy it actually is to disrupt all of international supply lines so like just me and six could, listeners and tiny two-person sailboats getting in the way of ships <laughs> just <laughs> handle handily are, run us you, over and you kill are us. crushed crushed under the hull of a cargo <laughs> ship within two hours i'm in a little i'm on a jet ski no 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 <laughs> You've gotten all of your compatriots crushed. Yes. And you're just like <laughs> breaststroking away in the middle of the ocean. Like, no, 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 yeah, no, yeah. no, no, no. While ship bears down on you. Oh, God. You know what sound that ship is probably making, Patrick? I'm, I think it's probably something like. That's right. It makes the sound of an honorable mention foghorn raw denim heads. Listen up. Oh, I like I like a raw denim. Yeah? 
Yeah. You like to get a pair of very extremely stiff pants and neither, uh, and don't wash them, but you just wear them in over the course of how long does that take? I mean, it's just different. It's different. It differs. It differs. Yeah. Or do you, are, have you actually gotten raw denim? Are you actually uh, one of those guys? Yeah. Well, then you will be excited. <laughs> I want to hear what <laughs> you're gonna say before. Uh, you knew that I no, had some No, I have it in the script. You can see. I, I, I guess I'm actually more curious about your experience, but uh, we can I can talk, talk to you off mic. We can talk after. And, and now I'm thinking about a, a Navi, an avatar wearing some okay. raw denim jeans. Uh, and I'm I mean, really enjoying funny, that. It's really funny. Yeah, well, it's, it's pretty about. funny. So we have a lot to talk about later. Okay. Anyway, um, then you and the rest of like our like-minded uh Listeners will be uh, excited to hear that a pair of work pants uh, that was possibly a precursor to the Levi Strauss blue jean has sold for one hundred and fourteen thousand dollars. Yeah. Uh, in Reno, Nevada. Yep. Um, the reason we're talking about it is because these pants were recovered from a chest aboard a sunken ship that you may remember the SS Central America, famously home to an obscene amount of gold that sank in stormy conditions off the coast of South Carolina. Remember this? I do. Huh? You remember this? I remember this. We talked about this I last very season. Much so, yeah. Yeah. The pants are they look bad. They but yeah. considering the ship sank in I think 1857, that's not bad. No. That's not bad at all. So yeah, the, a lot of the gold is still tied up in legal disputes. You may remember that uh the leader of the team that found it um kind of stiffed everybody on payment and was arrest- uh, eventually arrested in a Florida hotel room I think he's still in uh, okay. he, I remember he had a silly name ah yes Thomas G Thompson <laughs> oh cool um yeah he, he fled because he was being sued he became a fugitive uh, he was arrested in 2015 at a hotel in Florida and has been in federal prison since hmm. um that said Pants lovers the world round can rejoice that this disgusting pair of proto-jeans was preserved in an oxygen-free chest pulled to the surface in 1990. Okay. Uh, along with a series of other uh, books and, and pieces of clothing. So it's unclear whether the pants are actually an early rendition of the famous Levi's we know today. At this mm-hmm. period in history, Levi Strauss is a like uh, a famed purveyor of dry yeah, goods. Yeah. Levi um, so Strauss it's definitely, is a guy. It's a, yeah, it's like definitely a possible. Man. <laughs> Yes, Levi this, Levi Strauss was out there selling stuff at this time in history. So this actually happens every once in a while. I remember like, I don't know why I know this, but every once in a while someone will find like an ancient pair of jeans in a barn. And every time they'll sell for like $100,000. And sometimes uh-huh. like, I know there's like a pretty big market for kind of like old Americana type stuff in Japan. So sometimes like companies will buy them for that much for like hundreds of thousands of dollars in order to try and recreate them interesting yeah i'm sure they're huge first of all no matter what size you get the the leg is definitely <laughs> you could fit a human through full yes, size human like through a, each leg a whole, a whole torpedo yeah um but yeah and they're like ratted out like completely torn just like shredded and they'll sell for I mean, this is maybe the best looking I mean, pair. these are, we, we, I suggest you look it up because these actually are in did. better shape than you would think. Yeah. They're not, I think, actually like traditionally denim. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're, they're referred to as work pants. 
um, because this is what jeans were used for at the time, but they were made of a thick, unknown material <gasps> covered in black and brown stains. A yet so, unknown, undiscovered material. <laughs> a secret third gene. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the missing link in in, in pants, in, mm-hmm. in lower wear. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, like, it's definitely, like, it's been theorized and speculated that these are... You know, if you look at the size and style of the buttons, they point in the direction that they are Levi's. Um, However, uh, the first blue jeans were patented 16 years after the sinking of the Central America. Uh, And so at least according to members of the company now, they say that these links are speculative. I don't really know if it like costs them anything as a company (laughs) to acknowledge the to claim these jeans. Yeah. But so far they have not. Um. Whether they are really Levi's or not, though, it is an exciting prospect for Jeans Heads, like <laughs> managing partner of the California Gold Marketing Group, Dwight okay. Manley. Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> Dwight. Said, sure. Who said, "Quote: Those miners' jeans are like the first flag on the moon, a historic moment in history." Yes, uh, a little psychology like from that. Dwight Manley. <laughs> it's just like that. <laughs> it's just like that. And so I think I think with those words. Uh, we, we leave you today. Um, yes, just uh, tremendously funny. Uh, <laughs> I hope that like uh, tensions flare and that like people are like these are Levi's and like the Levi's head researchers like they are not. They are not Levi's. I'm um, sure we will keep know. everyone posted on the status of these jeans. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely will, uh, and I think that brings us to the end of our show, season four. It's season four begun. They said no it wouldn't happen. It no, this train has left the station straight into the water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was a misunderstanding in the blueprints and the, <laughs> the tracks <laughs> go straight into the bay. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, we will uh, persist. Yes. You know, we will. We will forge onwards into the deeps. Uh, and into we'll the deep, into week. the depths of knowledge. We'll see you next week. Uh, follow us at Ship Hits Pod. I actually, I still have to watch it. We just got a clip from Animation. Um, oh. You're at Rooster Teeth, who put together a clip from a previous episode. So I'm really excited to get a closer look at that. Yeah, follow us on Twitter. We're uh, quickly approaching 5,000 subscribers. Uh, not subscribers. Just uh, Twitter <laughs> followers. Followers. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know followers yeah that works um the show is written by Paige wesley it's edited by kelly reynolds art is by stevie jude uh patrick i just thank you uh, glad to be Welcome. glad to be here yeah ha- happy to be here as well which is again at home yes uh, and we we this will be the setup for next week and then we should be we should have a studio soon <laughs> yeah Hopefully, we better. <laughs> yeah, our New Year's resolution is to record this podcast in a consistent studio environment. Yes. Anything to say about their bones? Uh, just that they should bleach in the sands, really. Yeah, probably. I mean, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, I, I will also say, we've got a really exciting season for you. We, we've got it all mapped out. Bangers all the way through from top to bottom. We are very excited to talk about some of these wrecks. All of these wrecks, but some in particular are really... Oh, really yeah. interesting and really unique. Um, I will say, we're still not doing the Titanic. Okay. <laughs> Don't tell them that. They'll stop listening oh, entirely. We're doing the Titanic. Well, I can't. Oh, I've gotten myself into quite a pickle, haven't I? Yeah. 
<laughs> you know that the Titanic is washed. And you're, if you're a real shipwreck head, you know about the SS Central America. You know about the Eastland. You know about the Edmund yeah, yeah. Fitzgerald. So please continue to listen. Follow us. Your bones. Keep them bleached. We just don't want to compete gleaming. with uh, James Cameron. <laughs> Okay, I call him yes. Jim. I call him Jim. Actually, you call, yeah, yeah, you call, call him Jim. That's Jim right. Cameron. Um, um, I can only imagine a listener to the show. Oh yeah, he listens. Yeah, he's a listener. Absolutely. Yeah, he's he sends me. He's often. Mail. He sends me kind letters about the show. Strongly worded kind letters. Yeah, yeah. He's a big and fan. with that, goodbye. Goodbye.